Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, Richard Bay Talk. Happy birthday to we and all of you who have subscribed. You know why it's a happy birthday, Albert? I'm assuming you're going to tell me that we've been here for a year now. We have been here for one year. Which is about <laughs> eight months too long, I think. <laughs> well, in the beginning, you said that if a podcast was going to flunk, it was going to disappear within seven episodes, yes. right? Yes. And yes, fe February of 19 uh, of 2022 was when we had our first. So this is our one year anniversary. Congratulations. I was going to yes. I was going to get a cake and a balloon, but I don't I didn't want to cause a panic with a oh. balloon, you know. You you've heard about that even though you're a uh, yeah, strangely that got out to my ears. You're monastic. You heard about the balloon. Let me ask you this. Yeah, I've heard about the balloon. Okay. During World War II, the United States was pretty much protected from the devastation in the Pacific and in Europe, uh, you know, by the oceans. But we did have six Americans who died in the continental United States. And you know how they died? No, tell me. From a balloon. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> the Japanese had these balloons called Fugo balloons. And what they wanted to do, they were incendiary balloons that would mm -hmm. blow up and cause a big fire. And they tried to send them over. Just as this Chinese balloon was in the airstream, the Japanese balloons would come over and they were supposed to fall over the, the uh, forests of the uh, Northwest and create forest fires. And, uh, in 1945, this reverend took his family on a trip, a picnic to the forest in Oregon, uh, and the kids came across one of these balloons that landed and didn't detonate, and they kicked it, and six of them died, and they are the only Americans who were killed on the mainland of the United States during World War II. And here's there's a monument uh, to that incident and that tragedy. Uh, there it is in Oregon in the forest. Oh boy. And that was 1945. That was, uh, what, three months before the war ended in Japan. All right. So now <laughs> we have this other balloon that's causing a devastating panic. You know, people are saying, what did they find out? Were they trying to test our ability to see if they invaded our airspace? Were they trying to gather information over the uh, missile silos and the, the uh, air force bases that we have? Um, well, the Pentagon has said they're pretty sure that they blocked this balloon from accessing uh, any important information, especially information that, you know, that might be different from that garnered by a satellite, you know, because they have these satellites flying over. Uh, but one thing the Chinese have learned is that a balloon can cause Americans to go crazy and panic 
and not stand behind the U.S. military, not stand behind the president, because the president was told on Tuesday that this balloon was floating into our airspace. And on Wednesday, he ordered the military to shoot it down. And the military said, let's not do it while it's over land. Because it, you don't know, it could have a wide debris field. It could cause damage to infrastructure. It could cause, uh, you know, perhaps a loss of life. Uh, and they said, let's wait until, they didn't think it was that important in the intelligence community as well, that they should wait until it flew over the ocean. And they finally did down it on Saturday in relatively shallow water so they can recover what's in there. And actually intelligence sources believe that we probably will get more information about the Chinese and their uh, intelligence gathering than they got about our facilities in America. But you wouldn't know it. The Republicans went crazy over this. Watch this nitwit who happens to be the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, a representative James Comer. Been allowed to cross over into the uh, past the Pacific coast under the continental United States. Never should have happened. You know, my concern is that the uh, federal government obviously doesn't know what's in that balloon. Is that bioweapons in that balloon? Is it, did that balloon take off from Wuhan? You know, we don't know anything about that balloon. <laughs> did the balloon take off from Wuhan? <laughs> oh boy. And then there was uh, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. He is not a nitwit, but uh, he was, um, at, at that point in time, we, we didn't have the information that three times when Donald Trump was president, um, these Chinese balloons invaded U.S. airspace for a shorter period of time, to be sure. Uh, but they did go over uh, Texas, Hawaii, and Florida. And um, Marco Rubio had his balloon burst live on the air when that information was released. Take a look at this. Shot it down when he shot it down based on the advice of, of the military. You don't think he should have order, ordered it to be shot down earlier against the advice of, of, of the Joint Chiefs, do you? So I'd love to hear from military officials about why wasn't it addressed earlier? What were the options at that point? Again, look, maybe in a closed session or maybe in the settings of, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, they'll have some real good arguments about why it couldn't be done. I recognize that you shoot something out of the sky that's the, si that's the size of three buses and it lands in the wrong place. It could hurt, harm, kill people or damage infrastructure. But by the same token, I think that if that was the case, then I think it really would have been helpful for the president of the United States to get on national television and explain to the American people, this is what we're dealing with, this is what I'm going to do about it, and, uh, and this is why I haven't done it yet. None of that happened, and I don't know why. And in fact, I don't know why they waited so long to tell people about this. And uh, uh, if they knew the trajectory that it was on, it seems, from late last week. All right, and, early and, and, and we're, we're also told, by the way, that, uh, that this happened three times under the previous president. Obviously, there were no public notifications there. Uh, Senator Rubio, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your time. As Emily Latilla used to say, oh, never mind. And then we went from the ridiculous to the out-and-out -out silly. There was that jackass, Carrie Lake, who um, 
was running for governor in Arizona. Here she is. Take a look at her hair. She's defending her state by pointing. I'm told there's a balloon that needs to be taken care of. Okay. Uh, and J.D. Vance in Ohio joined her on this citizen's militia. There he is looking to the skies uh, <laughs> with his gun to shoot down the balloon. Now, you may say, oh, these people were not to be taken seriously, but you got to remember, these are people who think, uh, you know, that thousands and uh, hundreds of thousands of people um, voted and weren't counted, that the, that the voting machines were manipulated by Hugo Chavez or by Italy. You got to remember that these are people who think uh, that uh, if you drink, some of them anyway, if you drink bleach, it's going to kill COVID and that uh, wearing a mask, a public safety measure, is the same thing as what Adolf Hitler did to the Jews in Nazi Germany. So one sheriff, actually, a local sheriff, had to release um, to his municipality, please, please do not fire your guns up in the air at the balloon, because when a bullet goes up, it comes down. And that can do... Uh, a lot of damage. Maybe uh, Joe Biden should have called the governor of Idaho or the Republican governor of Montana and said, all right, listen, you know, Republicans want me to shoot this down. Do you mind if I shoot it over your state house or over your state where possibly it could kill your citizens? Are you willing uh, to take responsibility for any damage done if I shot down this balloon over Montana or over uh, Idaho, I don't think um, I don't I don't think that would go over so well. And uh, of course, we're gearing up now because uh, Fox News, in one of those ludicrous things, uh, said um, they try to link this to Hunter Biden's laptop. They said the reason Joe Biden is not shooting down the balloon is because of what's on Hunter Biden's laptop. I'm not kidding you. You know, and that morning show, what is it? Fox and Friends. They actually did say that. And Tucker Carlson, take a look at this. Do we have that pick? All right. On Friday, <clears throat> Tucker Carlson said, Biden is weak and he refuses to shoot down the Chinese spy balloon. On Saturday, when he did shoot it down, Tucker Carlson said, Reckless Biden may have just set off World War III and that Putin was stepping in as the big hero to urge diplomacy to keep us from going to war uh, with communist China. I mean, what can you say? These people are children. They're children. All right. So uh, people are, there is all this insinuation now that Joe Biden is being too soft on uh, Xi and communist China. Uh, but how soon we forget headlines like this one. Can we take a look at that headline? That's Trump on China's Xi. We love each other. In fact, he loved Xi so much that he gave him an extra big chunk of Chocolate cake. Now, she, he was negotiating a trade deal with she, one which 
he got taken to the cleaners. Actually, our country got taken to the cleaners. Uh, China did not comply with the trade deal, and they're still $200 billion short of what that trade deal specifies in terms of what they're supposed to buy from the United States. So this great deal maker, he was a sucker to Xi, but he loved Xi. And, you know, in Trump's, at Mar he invited him to Mar-a-Lago. And at Mar-a-Lago, you know, Trump gets two scoops of ice cream with the cake. Everybody else just gets one. Now, he didn't talk about Xi getting one or two scoops when he came over for dinner. Guess who's coming for dinner? But he did talk about the cake. And then he forgot which country he bombed. Take a look at this. At the table, we had finished dinner. We're now having dessert. And we had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake that you've ever seen. And President Xi was enjoying it. And I was given the message from the generals that the ships are locked and loaded. What do you do? And we made a determination to do it. So the missiles were on the way. And I said, Mr. President, let me explain something to you. This is during dessert. We've just fired 59 missiles, all of which hit amazing. Unmanned. Brilliant. It's so incredible. It's brilliant. It's genius. Our technology, our equipment is better than anybody body by a factor of five. I mean, what we have in terms of technology, nobody can even come close to competing. So what happens is I said, we've just launched 59 missiles heading to Iraq. Well, you headed to Syria. Yes, heading toward Syria. <laughs> or somewhere. <clears throat> but thank you from, from Maria Bartoloma. Uh, for pointing out that the missiles were unmanned and they it wasn't like Chill Wills in Dr. Strangelove who was waving his cowboy hat as we dropped uh, a nuclear bomb on Russia. <laughs> and thank you for correcting him when he said that he was bombing the wrong country. But he did remember that cake and mentioned it twice. And he, he, he she was very happy with the cake. <laughs> but... Uh, but uh, she took him to the cleaners on that trade deal that he kept bragging about. But uh, tomorrow uh, or this week, actually, is the State of the Union address. And, and today I, there was a poll. I think it's Washington Post says Biden hasn't done enough over the last two years. We just got a report. 517,000 new jobs were created in this economy. Unemployment is 3.4%. It hasn't been that low since 1969. You know, in 1969, I was in high school. That's my graduating class. Inflation is down. And we're still lower than most of uh, the European countries and, uh, and England in terms. Inflation was a worldwide phenomenon. But we went, we were 9.1% in uh, June. And I think we're somewhere now down close to like 6% or maybe even a little less. And when you look at the last six months of 2022, inflation was really slowed down. It's when you go year to year, you get different figures. But when you go month to month, the month 
to month increase was, uh, you know, was very low. All right. So uh, all this balloon nonsense really ob obliterated the fact uh, about those great economic numbers. Now, in the meantime, what has this Republican House accomplished? Well, they passed a bill to help wealthy tax cheats by trying to defund the IRS. Of course, that bill will go nowhere. And almost any onerous bill that they pass will go nowhere because the Senate is Democratic. And in the end, Joe Biden has a, a, a pen to nullify anything passed by Congress. But they also they voted on a bill to allow um, House representatives uh, to, be, um, to be able to bring their guns into their committee meetings. Oh boy, isn't isn't that a great thing? And the, the their ultimate achievement was kicking three Democrats off of committees. Um, I could I could go into the other cases, you know, with um, Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff, but Ilan Omar was uh, kicked off the um, the foreign uh, committee and they said it was because of her anti-Semitic comments. Now, I'm not a big fan of Ilan Omar. I think she's articulate, but she seems a little puffed up about herself and her position and her importance. And I'm certainly not as far to the left as her politics or most of the people who are on the squad or what they've called the squad. But I will I'll tell you this. When she said, why is there such strong support in Congress for Israel? And she replied, it's all about the Benjamins, meaning money that is uh, uh, given to either defeat someone by, by financing their opponent um, or sending out li uh, negative literature about you. Uh, she said, all right, she said the Benjamins, which mean, you know, which, which is sort of street slang for money. But she said, I was talking about APAC. Now, a while back, Fortune magazine rated APAC the second most powerful lobby in Congress. And the first wasn't the NRA. The first was the AARP. And things have changed. The number one lobbying group in Congress is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce now, followed by all the pharmaceutical companies that are swimming in cash. Um. But APAC is still important, and it still has its influence. They had $7 million to de uh, devoted to defeat Donna Edwards when she ran for the House of Representatives. And, you know, if somebody said this, I'm going to read you this quote. It's pretty much the same thing that Ellen Omar said. Those who criticize Israeli policy too loudly 
risk being tagged as anti-Israel or possibly anti-Semitic. And they're confronted with a well-funded opponent in the next election. Who do you think said that? If you criticize Israeli policy, you're tagged as anti-Israel and anti-Semitic, and AIPAC funds your opponent. You know who said that? Barack Obama. And he's no anti-Semite. And I'm not an anti-Semite. And yes, I believe APAC has a great influence in Congress because of the amount of money that they have, i.e. the Benjamins. Now, APAC also supported many of those representatives who voted against certifying the election. They also endorsed Jim Jordan. Um, and, um, and others who were involved on January 6th. Now, uh, people were upset about that, some uh, Americans. Scott Perry, Jim Jordan, both endorsed by APAC, and uh, APAC released a statement. This is no moment for the pro-Israel movement to become selective about its friends. So we should be more concerned about supporting Israel and Netanyahu's corruption than we are about our own country. I mean, the government of Israel, you can love Israel. You can love the country as a refuge for Jews who have suffered persecution and mass murder for thousands of years, culminating in the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. But Marjorie Taylor Greene compared wearing masks to what Hitler did in Nazi Germany to the Jews? Now, she did apologize, but Ilhan Omar apologized too. And yes, Democrats, in lockstep, they all condemned Ilhan Omar. Even after she said I was talking about APAC. Now, let me tell you one little story, because I went to APAC, what was it? Oh, 2015, during the primaries. And um, a friend of mine had, he was wealthy and he had bought a large table and I was there uh, and they had one of the grandest buffets I've ever seen in my life. And John Edwards was there. And I, at the time I was a big fan of John Edwards and I went up, shook his hand, spoke to him and Hillary Clinton was the featured speaker. So when it came time for Hillary Clinton to speak, I mean, she started off by saying the security of Israel is not negotiable, and the audience went crazy. And she started to talk about the threat from Iran. And then at one point she said, but we should still engage with Iran to try to keep them from becoming a nuclear power. And the audience started booing. And I guess it was myself and about five other people who started applauding. But before she made her speech, she said I, she didn't think she was going to make it because they were voting in the Senate on a, a minimum wage bill that was very important. And the Republicans 
were kept stalling and stalling on the vote. And she said, I have some of the best staff in Congress. And I sent them out and I said, can you find out when the Republicans are going to vote on this bill? And they all came back and they said, no, they won't tell us anything. And she said, my staff is great. And they couldn't get the information. So I called the chairman of APAC and I said, listen, I've got to be on a plane out of Dulles at six o'clock. And I don't know if I can make it if we don't vote on this bill. He said, I'll get right back to you. She said, 10 minutes later, he called me back and said, I just spoke to the Republican leadership. They're going to have the vote in time so you can make your plane. And she said, that just shows you the power of APAC. And the audience laughed and applauded. I was horrified. Um, that it should have that kind of influence, more than one of the most important senators in Congress and her staff. So yeah, APAC does have a lot of power, not as much as it used to have. And because they're worried about that, they've just created a super PAC to get involved in politics. Um, I don't think there's any other nation in the world that has that kind of influence over Congress. All right. Now, as I said, you can love Israel, but you don't have to love the corrupt Netanyahu government or the racists that he has in his cabinet or the settlers, so-called settlers in the West Bank who have made a two-state solution impossible if it was ever even credible. But in 1988, it was the 40th anniversary of Israel. I went there with people are talking. I had an incredible time. We, we had shows at Hebrew University, half the audience Israeli students, half the audience uh, uh, Jewish students, half the audience Israeli Arab students. Uh, we spoke about Israel in the media. We spoke about the Intifada. I spoke, I had a show on Orthodox Jewish women who were asking for more rights. One thing that was amazing was American basketball players who couldn't make the NBA went there and were some of the most popular sports figures in the country. They were in a team called the Maccabees. I interviewed Ofra Haza, who, who unfortunately died of AIDS very shortly after the interview. But here's a, a video of uh, people are talking when I was in Israel. It's Israel's 40th birthday, and from the promenade at Armon Hanatziv, overlooking the beautiful city of Jerusalem, it's People Are Talking, and here's your host, Richard Bay. Hello, welcome to People Are Talking in Israel. We're on the Tayelet, which is the promenade next to the governor's mansion, and from this promenade, you can look over at the city of Jerusalem, the old walled city with its 16th century walls, and the new city of Jerusalem, of course, which is now all one city. I'm told that this promenade was donated by a couple from San Francisco. The money that came to build this place came from San Francisco. And there are Americans and Israelis out here, and we've all come here. And of course, we on People Are Talking have come here to celebrate, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Jewish state here of Israel. And we also uh, went with Evening Magazine. I was the host of two shows at WWOR at the time, and my co-host was Denise Richardson, one of the most wonderful generous, sweet, intelligent people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And we both went there, both at Yad Vashem. I, I, there was a moment 
when I went out to look for Oscar Schindler's tree, I think I've told you that, I just collapsed on the ground crying. Who can't be affected uh, with any person with a, any kind of conscience or heart be affected by uh, the Holocaust depicted at Yad Vashem? Uh, but here I am with Denise Richardson talking about uh, our experiences. And during the course of the week, Denise and I have done a lot of traveling. Some of that you've seen on camera, some of it you haven't. We've had adventures, we've had fun, we've had some disturbing conversations and experiences. But all of them have left us with very deep and lasting impressions. Impressions that we're going to share with you right now. When we were boarding in the fellow said to you, who was interviewing you, he said, uh, oh, you're going home. Do you feel like you came home? I feel connected. I don't know if that's coming home, but I have a, I find here a real feeling of everything being connected somehow. I feel connected to a, to a past and to the land. I feel that somehow it all works together. And it's funny, as a Catholic, I find the connection as well, because all of the things that I learned about in religion become a reality. The places that I learned about in the Bible become a reality to me. And the other thing that was surprising too, both the Arabs and the Jews are so outspoken and they will when they talk to you they will grab you and clutch you and tell you everything and they're passionate and open up passionate and yet i don't find that sort of passion directed at each other except in the in anger and bitterness there's not that sort of reaching out and saying hey i want to tell you how i feel and yet we've met people we've met palestinians who say that they have lived on jews and they have dated jews and they, they coexist and they'll say that each are good people, but the political situation does not enable them to continue to be able to coexist together. In a country and in a, in a land that has a history that goes back thousands of years, we're sitting on something that is 2,000 years old. I think sometimes that keeps people from living in the present. People here are always turning to the past and saying, well, this, has been, this is what happened in the Bible. This is what happened in 1947. This is what happened in 19... 67. Never really clean the slate. Yeah. It's like, wake up, it, it's hard for people to wake up and say, ah, this is, a, this is a new day and there's a better future ahead for us. But it is a very young country. I mean, that's another thing that's amazing here is how, how much youth is here. And you want the young people to have so much more of a future. And you want the old people to live in peace. And you just wonder, you know, what about tomorrow? What will tomorrow bring? Back in 1965, the Jewish National Fund created this tribute to John F. Kennedy, two years after his assassination. They wanted it to be a living memorial, so they planted a forest. Well, members of the Kennedy family have been coming here since then to plant trees. The most recent is the daughter of the late Senator Robert Kennedy, Kathleen. And we're very honored to be able to plant this cypress for Evening Magazine. All across Israel, we've been shown a very special kind of hospitality and generosity by all the people we've met. Israeli Arabs, Jews, those that live in the occupied territories. And here in Israel, you say hello and goodbye with the same word. It also means peace. And to all the people we've met, we'd like to say shalom. It's the 40th anniversary of Israel's independence, and there's still conflict in this area. What we wish for Israel is that peace comes to it, kind of like the peace that you feel right here at the Kennedy Memorial. I'm Richard Bay. Shalom. I'm Denise Richardson. Shalom. Well, of course, that wish 
never came true, and Israel's in, in as much crisis today as it has almost ever been. Um, and uh, I should point out that, you know, when we were talking to each other, we were in Caesarea, which are Roman ruins. There is a sense when you are there that you, especially in Jerusalem, that you are in the center of time and the center of the world. It's an incredible place to visit. Anyway, thank you for joining us here today. And um, as always, all my best. Take care.